Welcome to the third episode of the second season of the Pickaxe Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Delaney Howell. This month, we're tackling the topic of transportation losses with Dr. Matt Ritter, Cargill Director of Technical Services, and Dr. Anna Johnson, Professor of Animal Behavior and Welfare at Iowa State University. But before we get into today's conversation, talking about transportation losses and how to mitigate them, let's hear first a little bit more about the background of each of our guests. So I did my bachelor's and master's degrees at Michigan State University with a focus on pork quality. And key outcome of my project there was I was looking at breed differences and it appeared that perhaps the breed differences we saw in pork quality were driven by how those breeds reacted to pre-slaughter stress. So then that led me to a PhD program at the University of Illinois with Dr. Mike Ellis. And about that time, uh, an, an issue emerged in the industry of increased dead and non-ambulatory pigs at the packing plant. And it happened to be a situation of right place at the right time uh, to do research in a PhD program focused on that very topic, uh, where a lot of my research was conducted under commercial conditions uh, with a large production system, the mash-offs, and a packing pork packer and Cargill Meat Solutions. Once I finished my PhD program, went to work for Elanco Animal Health for 12 years, spent about six of those years in tech services and six of those years in R&D. And then about a year and a half ago, uh, made the move over to, excuse me, two and a half years ago, over to Cargill Animal Nutrition and now lead uh, the Swine Technical Services Group. And Anna, what about your background? As as you can tell from the accent, I wasn't originally born and raised in Iowa, so I had an interesting route to get here. I did my undergrad degree, like many of our listeners, in animal science at the University of Reading, jumped over to Edinburgh to specialize up in behavior and welfare, and that brought me to the U.S., where I studied under John McGlone, and my focus was in swine production and, and welfare both uh, comparing and contrasting um, indoor and outdoor farrowing systems. And from there, I, I had a very unique opportunity to come to Iowa. Back in, in 02, the National Port Board created a brand new Director of Swine Welfare Program, which is still a position today. And I got to spearhead the first creation of the first on-farm national swine welfare program, which is uh, which is now rolled over into the PQA plus program. And that's how Matt and I first met. Actually, it was when I was the director. He and, and Dr. Ellis graciously hosted a symposium on transportation losses. We were uh, seeing that as a concern as well. And so again, it was just right place at the right time. I, I like that, that saying, Matt. And we've really been working together, I would say, since 03 or 04, on and off on, on this really important uh, issue. Let's talk a little bit more about your work together, because you guys have worked on various publications. It sounds like your work has overlapped a lot. Your research has overlapped a lot. Talk to me a little bit about how your paths crossed and some of the research that you've done revolving around transportation losses. Well, as I as I mentioned, I'll kick off Matt, and then you can you can pick up the baton from there. I mean, we had that opportunity to begin a, a workshop where we brought in experts uh, globally. Illinois hosted us. Mike, Mike, and Matt were, were were brilliant, and we spent oh gosh about three days I think going through the literature at the time and 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 figuring out well you know what what do we know about the fatigued pig, the non ambulatory 
pig uh, what causes them to stress out and and not make it through the marketing process and and really from there Matt I think you'd agree it, it kind of springboarded several collaborations that we had once you moved over to to Alanco if you want to pick that up the key product out of that workshop was a review paper published in 2009 that really defined the problem and talked about the importance to the industry and put some standard definitions out there to the industry with regards to transport losses. So transport losses being pigs that die during the marketing process, non-ambulatory pigs being pigs unable to move or walk at the packing plant, and then subcharacterizing those as fatigued and injured pigs. Fatigued pigs would be those displaying physical signs of stress. Injured pigs, those having structural incorrectness or sustained an injury during transport. So that was the first step. And then really the the next piece of this becomes the research piece and understanding what are some of those predisposing factors and then what can we actually do about it from a management standpoint. And unfortunately, a lot of that work has to be done under commercial conditions with large production systems to really keep the work applied and as Anna stated, when I went to work for Elanco, I, I believe Anna and I lived about 10 miles apart there around Ankeny, Iowa, um, created a lot of great discussions as we worked on that uh, review paper and started to find some production systems that expressed an interest and a need to collaborate on research. And from there, we, we conducted several commercial trials in this area, trying to ad- identify management strategies to reduce transport losses. Now, as Matt just covered there, we've talked a little bit about defining those characteristics of what transportation losses are and help to identify issues that can potentially arise during that process. Now it's important that we know what to look for to discuss who needs to be looking and paying attention to those characteristics. Dead and non-ambulatory pigs were identified as an animal welfare priority by the National Pork Board and uh, for several years were one of the top call for proposals for research in that area just due to the lack of information available. The other thing is, is non-ambulatory pigs became a, a subject of increased rules and regulations when we look at USDA and FSIS. Uh, those pigs have to be segregated through the plant and the meat from those pigs can enter cool hot lunch programs and create some challenges along those lines. Another area is animal welfare audits became more commonplace in packing plants and how non-ambulatory pigs are handled. It becomes a key component of those audits. So a lot of focus on the non-ambulatory pig. And then the other piece of this is there's direct financial losses to producers as a result of these dead and non-ambulatory pigs. And just looked at some current metrics on this today. So carcass weights right now are about 210 pounds, roughly 280-pound pig. And we've got carcass prices right now over $100 per hundredweight. So we just use a round number of market hogs worth 200 plus dollars per pig. So in the case of a dead pig, that producer is expecting to receive $200 and, and the dead pig receives zero in return. And then when we look at the non-ambulatory pigs, those pigs can't walk or move at the packing plant. Packers discount those pigs. Those discounts vary uh, across packers, but on an average, we'd say the discount's about 30%. So in this example, I just walked through, those pigs are receiving $60 less, so $140 versus the $200 possible. 
So today I would argue that transport losses are costing the producer more than they ever have with these current market conditions. All right, let's pause here for a second. Did you just catch that? $60 less. That's what a producer could anticipate as far as a potential loss in revenue. Granted, market prices are always fluctuating, so that number is fluctuating as well, but we know that we need to be able to lock in as much profit during the good times as possible. So implementing practices to reduce transport losses as much as possible is vital. But animal welfare also plays a role here in ensuring maximum profitability during transportation. The welfare side of things has expanded Initially, Matt, as you know, it was more focused in at the plant, that time that those pigs are being received and, and moved through the weigh scale and up to the layerage point and up to stun. Now with the port quality assurance uh, site assessment, as well as the common swine industry audit, the loading, transportation and handling is also present at the farm side as well. So we've got it both at the farm as well as at the plant. And there are very particular details in there about handling the non-ambulatory pig. It is not allowed anymore for us just to grab the back leg and, and drag that conscious animal out the way, place it into a pen unless it's a life-threatening situation. So if a producer or a load crew is seen handling an animal Outside of the scope of CSIA or PQA, particularly for CSIA, the third party audit, that can result in a willful act of abuse, which results in a farm failing, right? So, this is certainly not a topic that should be taken lightly. And our producer clients absolutely need to understand those expectations so they don't get in, in, into trouble. Anna, talk to me a little bit more, since obviously your background is in animal behavior and welfare, about things that we can do to reduce or mitigate some of these stressors on both the people and the pigs. So, you know, the, the, the animal handling equation is really unique, right? Because there's two, there's two main components. There's the human element, and then there's the pig element. And they both are going to feed into and off each other. So Matt and I have had lots of discussions about spacing out stresses and or maybe we can modify or mitigate some of those stresses. So let's let's just real quickly refresh ourselves on the finishing pig going through the marketing process. We ask a lot of those finishing pigs during that marketing process. So being identified that they've reached target weight, being segregated and moved out of that home pen walking a set distance to the loading chute. Then they've got to navigate that loading chute, right? And get up and onto the trailer. And then they've got that transportation component. And then of course, the reverse at the other end at the plant. And in some cases, those events can happen in a very short period of time. So we've been really mindful about that and having conversations with producers because their setup and their teams and their barns and their facilities can all vary. But some really common threads that go through that that Matt and I have worked in has really been understanding swine behavior and understanding human behavior and what we can do from a training and a discussion and open conversation on can you read pig, right? We can't have a conversation with the pig like we're having today. That's a, that, that would be silly. But there are certain things that that pig is going to clearly demonstrate to you both subtly and overtly that they're not doing well with the process. So 
Again, can you read that peg? And then can you mitigate or modify your behavior so that you're not continually putting pressure and stress on that pig that we know is a huge factor for them to become stress and and non-ambulatory on the farm. The term non-ambulatory is one that continues to be thrown into conversation here, but what does it mean and how do you characterize it? Let's continue on with that piece of discussion. As Matt said in our review paper, we've provided some really clear definitions on what non-ambulatory means and the way that we structure our non-ambulatory, it can be non-ambulatory, non-injured, which are predominantly most of the cases that we see. And that's really the, the best way to describe that, Matt, I think would be they've run out of gas. <laughs> so they just need they just need some time to, to rest and, and to recover and, and, and work in this area. And what we've shown is in a couple of hours, given that moment, uh, given that space, those animals can get back up and eventually will be able to continue through the marketing process. A secondary category is a non-ambulatory injured. And when we say injured, that can be a swath of etiologies, to be honest. Um, And producers and the PQA and others have guidelines of what should and should not be loaded. So for example, an injured animal with a broken leg or a broken hip should be euthanized on farm, right? But If they're slightly lame, which would be considered a structural issue, but they're able to keep up with their contemporaries and work through the process, those can be moved, but they just need to be given more time and space to be able to work their way through the marketing process. So the non-ambulatory is this big kind of term, but underneath that, there can be lots of etiologies that fit into that. But again, the most common one is the one that just becomes just tired and can recover very well and continue through the process. And, and Delaney, to add what Anna said there, Elanco early on in the early 2000s did uh, the comparison of these non-ambulatory, non-injured, or uh, in layman's terms, what we call fatigue pig versus normal pigs from the same load. And what they saw when they compared those two animals with those different conditions side by side is that the fatigued pigs displayed short-term signs of stress. So open mouth breathing or panting, skin discoloration, where on our white pigs, we see a reddish purple blotching of the skin. And some of those pigs, we may see muscle tremors where the animals begin shaking. And in some cases, we may hear abnormal vocalizations, which Uh, For lack of a better description, I would almost describe as a barking noise. Then from a physiology standpoint, what they're finding is the fatigued pigs are in a metabolic state of acidosis. So we see high blood lactic acid concentrations and low blood pH values. And depending upon the time of year, those animals may have elevated body temperatures. So for our listeners Uh, This may sound very similar to porcine stress syndrome, and when we compare the fatigue syndrome to porcine stress syndrome and the the work that was described in the late 60s and 70s, it's very similar. The only thing that I would say is is that was a question of could this just simply be a low rate of porcine stress syndrome still out there in the industry? And one of the last studies I did in my PhD program is we did an industry-wide survey where we took DNA from 600 dead, 600 normal, and 600 fatigue pigs at the packing plant and found that 98% of the fatigue pigs were free of the HAL 1843 mutation. So we are dealing with a different genetic scenario here than porcine stress syndrome. 
And just to reiterate what Anna said, we have found with these fatigued pigs that if we do remove the stress and allow these pigs an opportunity to rest for two to three hours, the vast majority of these pigs will metabolically recover. And that's something very important for us to think about with regards to this additive stressor model, as well as the implications of transportation stress. We've talked about behaviors and the importance of them, stress mitigation and industry terminology. The next step is to evaluate losses due to transportation, which is a tough thing to do. But let's talk about it now in a sense of where the industry sits and look at some of those benchmark numbers. So we referenced the review paper that came out of the National Pork Board Workshop, and that was published in Professional Animal Scientist in 2009. And that was really our first glimpse of some industry benchmarks on transport losses. So FSIS requires packing plants to report dead pigs at the packing plant. That information has been available for 25 plus years. And as a ballpark we use ranges of 0.2 to 0.25% is what we'd expect for pigs that die during transport or at the packing plant after unloading. When it comes to non-ambulatory pigs, unfortunately, national statistics are not available. And we put together a summary of commercial research that had been done in that initial review paper. But that was one of the big gaps coming out of the 2009 paper. So as a result of that and a follow-up, I led a team at Alanco Animal Health to do an industry-wide survey uh, with 20 U.S. commercial pork packing plants over a four-year period. And that data set represents about 310 million pigs over that time period. And what we saw in that data set, and this is published as a review paper in 2020 in Translational Animal Science, was the, the industry rate for dead pigs was 0.26%, and that's right in line with FSIS statistics. And then when we look at the, the non-ambulatory rate, and what we did in this trial is we looked at all non-ambulatory pigs from the time of loading all the way to stunning, that rate was 0.63%. And one thing we've got to keep in mind as we go back in the literature, a lot of those trials stopped tracking pigs at the weigh scale or as they entered the larage pen. So this was very comprehensive, tracking them all the way to the stunner. And then when we put those two numbers together, we get total transport losses of about 0.88%. And what we've got to keep in mind is, is we really focus on that 0.88%. But if we take a step back and look at the big picture, that's saying that over 99% of the pigs we transport to harvest facilities in the U.S. walk off the trailer without any physical problems or defects and are humanely harvested. So that's probably the most important thing to focus on. And when we look at transport losses under commercial conditions, they're almost always an outlier versus the norm. But it is an animal welfare issue and we need to continue to drive continuous improvement on these numbers. Matt, tell me a little bit more about the additive stress model. Yeah, so this was the last study that I did in my PhD program and uh, leaned heavily on the advice of Dr. Stan Curtis, who was on my graduate committee on how to design this. And we had a two by two by two factorial for this proof of concept study where we looked at two handling methods, gentle handling versus aggressive handling. So you've got moving an animal at a slow and calm pace with paddles versus moving a pig rapidly with electric prods. We had one hour transport, so they didn't have that two hour window to recover with crowded floor space or optimal floor space 
We then unloaded those pigs either a short distance or a long distance. And what we found is as we added up those stressors and each stressor we added, we saw increases in rectal temperature, blood lactate values, and decreases in blood pH. And when we put those three together for the high stress scenario versus the low stress scenario, we saw dramatic changes in the physiology of those animals. And what my key takeaway is, is really this is everyone involved in the marketing process from loading crews, transporters, handlers at the packing plant can play a role in transport losses. And if we can remove just one of those stressors throughout the process, we can improve the pig's well-being. So again, we're in as topic there of the additive stressor model, we want two hours between those stressors. If we think about transportation and large time as our two opportunity areas to help those pigs recover through the marketing process. And what do you do in situations where maybe you don't have two hours or time in between? That's a great question that I think several are still searching for answers on. I know in some situations we've looked at hauling pigs longer to help give them more opportunity to recover. In other situations, we've looked at implementing summertime proactive handling transportation methods where, you know, we look at low, you know, trying to minimize stress as much as possible during loading could be smaller group sizes of pigs, electric prod only as a last resort, increased transport floor space as some potential examples. Uh, Feed withdrawal could be another example where we've seen it reduces body temperature um, and potentially Uh, reduces muscle glycogen stores, which eventually is the fuel to produce the lactic acid. Those would just be some examples there, but that's not the easiest situation. And fuel cost becomes an important factor to think through in that decision when you look at the longer hauls. Yeah, I think that's that's fantastic. And I think that another thing I might challenge our, our listeners to think through is they are either retrofitting or perhaps building new new facilities is to think really smartly about that loading out chute or that loading out area. In my experience on farms, much of the time it's like, oh, we need to get the pigs in and out. And sometimes it's a last consideration. And yet to me, it's a really important area on the farm to facilitate that flow and that movement and to reduce the stress. So a colleague of ours, a good friend of ours, Nick Berry, did a PhD here with Dr. Tom Bass and I had the pleasure of serving on his committee. And we published a couple of papers out there that we that we just built a loading chute around pig behavior, right? I mean, it wasn't going to be economical. This was a proof of concept idea. But in a nutshell, we thought about, you know, how many two pigs loading at a time because they're social creatures and changing the cleats for more epoxy steps and the angle of the chute and mood lighting. So it was more diffuse rather than shadows and dark spots. And many of those concepts worked really well. I mean, those pigs loaded themselves fluidly, smoothly. The caretake or the loading crews were delighted with it. And we were able to show reduction, significant reductions, both at first pull as well as closeout on some of those measures that Matt's already mentioned, the open mouth breathing, the, the muscle tremors, the vocalizations, and significant less use of the electric prod. So again, thinking carefully about your management and thinking about your marketing process, and we all do it in a slightly different way, but thinking about that as you guys are retrofitting and redesigning or or building, I think would would serve you well. As we come to a close, there are a few 
other items of business to consider. The first being people and people management practices. Like we discussed earlier in the episode, people contribute just as much to stress during transportation. Whether they themselves are stressed or a team member is contributing to animal stress, there are some management practices we can do to help reduce strain during transport. Yeah, so when we look at management strategies, I think we can first take a look at what's known from the literature in terms of predisposing factors. And as we mentioned earlier, porcine stress syndrome, if it's present, obviously plays a huge role, but we don't believe that's involved in the U.S. anymore. Another thing, aggressive handling with electric prods has clearly shown time and time again that it negatively impacts the well-being of the animal and increases transport losses. Transport floor space, so how much space we give the pigs on the trailer, number of pigs we put on the trailer has an impact. And extreme weather conditions would be the other one. So both extremely hot and extremely cold play a major role on transport losses. So if we think about management strategies, I think we can really bucket these in two areas. One, better preparing pigs for transport. Anna alluded to earlier we think about how that pig's raised and how much, how little work we do to prepare that pig for the loading process. There's a lot that can be done in terms of walking pins daily. There's opportunities to think about in terms of routinely moving pigs prior to loading. It may not be the most feasible in all situations, but we know anecdotally from research barns where we weigh pigs every two weeks, almost no transport losses. Did a proof of concept study years ago in North Carolina where we removed pigs from the pen the day before loading, took them to the loading area and returned them, loaded them the next day. And we saw just moving them one time prior to loading reduced transport losses at the packing plant. Anna and I did some great collaborative work on pre-sorting prior to loading. Concept there is we allow those pigs an opportunity to completely rest and recover prior to, to loading. And a lot of times those facility designs put those pigs closer to the door. So they move shorter distances well. And that system also enables feed withdrawal prior to loading, which I've been involved in two studies that would show numerical reductions in transport losses. So that's the first piece. The second piece then is, is reducing stress. And a lot of this comes down to just pig handling and making sure we're using the right equipment and the right approach. So. First and foremost, the most effective tool to move pigs is a sorting board. Every handler needs to have a sorting board. Then the next goal is to minimize or use the electric prod as a last possible resort to get the pigs out the door, as we know that that can increase stress responses during loading. Another thing which is going to sound like the obvious to our listeners is group size during loading. When I was doing several loading crew trainings and trainings with growers, always got into a battle with the pork board recommendations of moving pigs in groups of four because the pushback was always if I take a group of eight, I can load a truck twice as fast as if I take two groups of four. I finally got tired of fighting that battle. <laughs> and uh, when I was at Alanka, we partnered with Cargill uh, to actually run the study with Dr. Nick Berry, where we went into commercial facilities, loaded one side of the aisle in groups of four onto one deck. The other side of the aisle was loaded in groups of eight onto the other deck. And we alternated those every load. What we found in that trial is if we loaded pigs in groups of four versus groups of eight, we reduced transport losses by 56%. 
And to address the timepiece, it actually took less time to load groups of four than it did of groups of eight. So to me, that's that's a, an important concept there. You've got to be able to reach those lead pigs and control that group. If you take too many, those lead pigs are going to turn. You're going to have a bottleneck and create more stress. And as we build off this theme of minimizing stress, Anna talked about chute design and ramp angles. Those are all very important. And then on the transportation side, we talked about transport floor space having a major impact. And what we've seen from a series of four commercial trials on transport floor space is losses are reduced when we use five square feet per pig uh, or more. And when we put that on a weight basis, that'd be 58 pounds per square foot or less. So very important to adjust that load size for additional weight. And then when we look at this last factor of environmental conditions, uh, the literature would tell us that dead pigs are going to spike in the summer months during heat. And then during the late fall, early winter time period, we see increased rates in non-ambulatory pigs. So we've got to take that into account and optimize the conditions inside the trailer. Uh, so during the summer months, we want to shower pigs immediately prior to transport, avoid unnecessary stops because the temperature is going to increase in the trailer. And then during the winter months, uh, we want to board up the trailer, provide bedding to optimize comfort for those pigs and prevent shivering. So those are some quick bullet points there on what we need to be doing from uh, considering from a management strategy standpoint. Finally, it's that time in the Pig X podcast episode to hear some key takeaways from our guests. Matt did a fantastic job of, of taking the, the big, what we call the silos or the pots and, and hitting the highlights there. One thing I would, I would add, a me message point maybe uh, to finish on today, Delaney, would be the importance of the team, whether that be the loading crew, the contract grower with the loading crew or their own employees, understanding their roles and, and communicating really effectively. The best, most fluid loadouts I've seen is that there's somebody who's in the pens and they get those four pigs out and they pass them off to someone in the alley who pushes them up and then passes them off to someone else who gets them on the truck. And it's just this beautiful, fluid, unidirectional flow. And everyone knows their role. Everyone has been trained. They've also spent time preparing the route. So hoses have been picked up and sort boards have been picked out the way and buckets have been picked up and all the things that sometimes just get left in a, in a finishing unit. I mean, we're busy, but that's what we do. So preparation, training and communication. That would be kind of my, my maybe my take home message on top of everything else that we've discussed to this point. When it comes to stress, again, it's not just animal management we need to pay attention to. We have to implement proper management strategies for the pigs as well as the people. But thankfully, we do have blueprints and things to work off of, like Matt and Anna shared today, to avoid some of those transportation losses. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this episode. So until next time, I'm Delaney Howell, and this has been the Pig X Podcast. PigX is a national podcast hosted by the Pig Livability Project partners at Iowa State University, Kansas State University, and Purdue, and supported by the Iowa Pork Industry Center. For more information on the project, head to www.piglivability.org or to inquire directly with questions regarding the project, 
email ipic at iastate.edu. Big X. Ideas in the swine industry worth sharing.